Um, we know it as, as Colossae. A couple things that um, you, you've probably already heard a bit, but there's a lot of pressures um, that this church plant are facing. And Paul has never met this church plant, has never met any of the people in the church except for a few of the leaders. And it's believed that most of these leaders, Paul had converted um, and were a part of a, of a church in Ephesus. Many of you know the, the letter Ephesians. Ephesians, Philemon, all these letters actually come in a bundle with this letter as well. So Paul is, already, is writing, there's, there's leaders coming up, they're, they're visiting Paul in prison and they're saying, Paul, these are the things that are going on in our church. These are the issues that we're having. Colossae is, is a small town, um, and it was a town that had history, had rich history. It was a town that was on the, tra- the end uh, or in the be- many, middle of a trade route in the Rome, during the Roman Empire. So there was wheelings and dealings and people of all cultures that were coming in that were either you know, laying roots or they were moving on. But there was something else about this, this city of Colossae that it's do a bit of digging to find out. You see, in their history, they underwent two earthquakes. The first earthquake was about AD 17. So about 50 years have gone by since this earthquake. So a town that was once rich and and just thriving was just trying to make ends meet, was just trying to get up off the ground. And with that comes all sorts of opinions, all sorts of cultural influences, because people have been coming around this town in Colossae we know through reading these letters and following scholars and archaeologists and people who have looked into the history of this city that there was a couple big issues that were surrounding the city. And I'll, I'll just touch briefly on a couple of these pressures because um, so this kind of sets us up to where we're going this morning. The first pressure is this. There is a lot of ideas around who God was, how creation started, and what do you do with this thing called evil? You know, we wouldn't have any issues with that today, surely. We have it all figured out. But thousands of years ago, people were still having the same problem. And so what you end up having is you have the Jewish people in the synagogue who many people know were religious, were, were steadfast in their, their scripture and their beliefs. But as is what you would expect, when different cultures, different opinions start to come in and assimilate, these waters get muddied. And you get these, sort, these beginnings of what... The, the big word for today, Gnosticism, and I won't go into much, much uh, detail on that. But essentially what it was is people started believing these crazy ideas about God and about life and about how, what's the place of evil in the world and what's going on with this and who is this Jesus of Nazareth? Is he actually just a man or is there something more to him? And this, this influence is starting to seep into the church and there's concerns. There's very real concerns because all of a sudden you're hearing these, these wacky stories about you need to pray to angels or that there's some hidden mystery that only the elites know and you must follow them to find the meaning of life. That God couldn't ever have been anywhere near evil so therefore he must have somehow germinated into these different matters of beings and it just sounds ludicrous sitting up here and chatting with you, but actually, funny enough, we see this all the time. If you ever have friends that don't believe in God or don't know, and you ever try to ask them these big questions, some of the answers you get are quite astounding. And yet here this, this church plan is, and Paul, the first thing he does, he gets out his pen or his quill or whatever they had writing out there, and he starts off with this extravagant, amazing letter. No, 
What I just read to you, he actually starts off as a poem. How many of you like poetry? There's like, I would say less than 5%. And I am not, is that just because you're a teacher? That, that why, Mr. Somerville? Uh, I hate poetry. So, so let's just put that right out in front. I don't, I don't like poetry. I have a hard time with poetry. But Paul is writing poetry. And you're sitting here and you're going, Paul, why on earth are you writing poetry to these people? Like, try reading Paul's normal writings. You need a master's in theology and divinity and everything else just to be able to understand half of what he's saying. And here he is, he's writing this poem. And it's so rich and full of stuff. And I'll tell you what, I love Paul. Because when I read Paul's writings, he goes right for the jugular. He doesn't mess about. There's none of this airy-fairy fancying about. He goes right for the jugular. He says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all, say all, all creation. He is the image of the invisible God. Another issue that was happening in this church society and in this town of, of Colossae was the Roman influence and the Roman rule. I know I have some friends of mine that are really big into history, so um, please don't hold this against me because I'm not a history buff. But after looking into this, realizing that the, the Roman emperors, we know them as, as Caesar, had coins made. And in these coins, they would have all these different uh, titles of what Caesar ran by. One of, the, one of the titles, and I'll try to pull it up here as quickly as I can. I can't even find it here. That's what happens. You, don't, you passed off your notes. You never come back to it. One of the titles meant highest priest of all the land. You see, Caesar, the Roman government, they were known as divinity. And when I say the divinity, I don't mean they just had superpowers. I mean, they decided by the law of the land what was right and what was wrong, what was good and what was evil. And Paul right here, right off the bat, is calling the Roman government out. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Not Caesar, not any other power. Jesus is the image and he's the firstborn of all creation. That word, that phrase, firstborn, He's not only hitting out at a, at a Roman rule, he's hitting out at a diluted Judaism that understands this phrase, the firstborn. I am a firstborn son. I would love to sit here and tell you it's because the firstborn, whoops, the firstborn sons and daughters are anointed better, are of a higher level, do you know, Parents tried, tried for a second one, but they were out of luck. And they learned, they learned their lesson. That's why there's only two of us. I tell my brother this all the time. Evan, if you're watching, love you, bro. <laughs> but that's not the case. It wasn't the firstborn of, of, a, of a family in that sense. But we get this understanding in all of Scripture. And this is the thing about Paul. When you're reading Paul and you're reading his letters, you're reading anything, he knows so much about the Scriptures in and out. You have to re recognize that Paul studied the scriptures. And I'm not talking like he went to Bible college. I mean, he lived the scriptures. So anytime that he's speaking on stuff, you can bet any money that he is pointing you and pointing the, his audiences to a thing that they're familiar with. We're not. Because generally speaking, most of us don't go and learn ancient Hebrew and try and study all of these things. But this understanding of the firstborn of all creation, we get it in Psalms. And in Psalms, along with other places, God, as he's making a covenant with David, calls him the firstborn. And this is what it says. He said, David is the first, will be the firstborn, comma, 
the highest king of all the land. So when we talk about Jesus is the firstborn, he's not just talking about a level of within a familiar unit. He's talking about Jesus is the highest level there ever is. He's the highest of anything. He's the highest authority. He's the firstborn of this. We'll come back to this because in poetry, a lot of times what ends up happening is you start something here and then at the end, you find that it kind of trickles down and makes sense again and it comes back. So we find here, Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth and visible and invisible where the thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things some of you got it, yes. We're created through him and for him. So Jesus isn't just the firstborn of everything. He isn't just the highest king. He was there in the beginning. He created everything. Everything on this earth, hear me, everything on this earth is under the creation and the authority of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Every single thing. Everything. Everything. All things. I'll, I'll say it a couple more times. All things. So what I mean by that is I mean it's not just about like we like all the, the nice furry bunnies and the lovely landscape and all oh, Jesus, you're doing all that stuff. I'm talking about the very physical things. I'm talking about the very things that we see as supernatural. I'm talking about the spirits. I'm talking about the governments. I'm talking about the angels. I'm talking about the demons. Everything is under Jesus. Every single thing. And that makes us uncomfortable. That makes me uncomfortable. Because when there are superpowers and there are nations that are killing people in the streets, God is over all of it. But it's actually God who put them into existence and he has a purpose for them. Ooh, Mike, careful. Careful. We're, tre we're treading heresy. No, we're not. Because my view of Jesus is higher than that because he held every purpose of it. So Vladimir Putin, Adolf Hitler, these things, John mentioned it too, all under Christ. All created, created by Christ and for Christ. Are you uncomfortable yet? You should be. <laughs> because it's, it's something that we always just look past and we think God only is in the good. But the fact of the matter is, is that all evil and all of these things, if you were to draw God and you were to put evil, where would evil belong? Outside of him? Well, if God created everything and was a part of everything, where does evil go? Inside. Which means that if God's created it, do you think he's the master of it? Do you think he knows what he's doing through it? Do you think I know what I'm doing? No, and I don't. And we're called to pray and we're called to pour into things and we're called to cry out to God. But ultimately, I know I can steadfast and stay, stay here with you that everything that's going on is completely and totally under his control, was a part of his plan, and that he has set it in motion and it is by him, for him. Let's take a step back a bit. That also means me. If you're today and you're struggling, you're going, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know why I'm created. It's right here. You were created by Jesus and for Jesus. You were created by Jesus and for Jesus. Every aspect, by Jesus and for Jesus. We're on a journey by Jesus and for Jesus. 
You're gonna get so sick and tired by the end of this day. What did Mike talk about? Jesus and all things. <laughs> Good, because Jesus is everything. Yo, we're only like the first paragraph of this and I'm looking at my watch going, Phew. here we go. He is the head of the body of the church and he is the, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead that in everything, say everything, everything he might be preeminent. We're talking about Paul's throwing haymakers. He is throwing haymakers. He is leaving no doubt that Jesus is above and before everything. He is the head of the body of the church. We all know that. We understand that. This is, a, this is a metaphor that we understand when we say someone's the head of something. But the head is the source of something. If you cut off the head, it's dead. It's over. Jesus is the head of the church. So what does that mean? That means obviously in, in a, when we're thinking and going through theology, that means that Jesus is the leading man. He is in charge of everything and is heading and moving his church. Even when we disagree and we're stubborn and we're silly, Jesus is still head of our church and leaving our church. What does that mean? That means that I have no right to walk out into this town and criticize and slander and say harsh things about another church because it's Jesus' church, it's not mine, and he's the head of it all. It also means that at Journey Church, what we strive to do is allow Jesus to lead, which means there might be some unorthodox things that happen here. If you haven't realized this morning, there may be times where things go a little off the beaten track, a little not according to our plan, but that's okay because Jesus was never just plan B. He actually wasn't even just plan A. He wrote the plan. So the fact of the matter is everything about Jesus, <laughs> head of the church, our job is to just sit here and submit. I had a chat with, uh, with Elaine. Here's, here's, here's a newsflash for you. The leaders and your elders of the church, we go for TT as well. I know that's probably a, a hidden secret. We might have it all together, but we have to go, we have to sort our lives out because we're not, we're on a journey as well and Jesus is transforming our minds daily. And I remember sitting in a conversation with Elaine. I, I'm happy to share this, there's no problem. And I sat there and I, I, it went something like this. Elaine, I am... I'm having such a hard time. I'm getting so angry at this situation. She goes, you know what you need to do, do you? It's like, I do know what I need to do, but I don't wanna do it. <laughs> she goes, what do you need to do? I need to accept and surrender. You see, when I started my journey, I thought the hardest thing was forgiveness. Nope. <laughs> nope. If you're, if you're a Christian here today, the hardest thing in the universe is to accept and surrender because it means that I no longer have the right to hold control over it. It also means that the, the hurt that I'm feeling in my heart, I have no right to hold on to that any longer. But it also means that if things don't go according to Mike's plan, I have no right to be upset about it. And it's freeing, but it's the hardest thing in the world. And here Paul is writing to us and saying right now, Jesus is the head of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Preeminent, firstborn, the first, the highest, the most superior. I love this, this poem because you, we start off when you hear this understanding of Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Then we go down and he says here, he says, Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So he's not even just the firstborn of all creation, of everything living. He's also the firstborn of everything that's dead. 
Gary spoke a few weeks back and said, for, in order for a resurrection to happen, something needs to die. We have a Lord and a Savior and a God as the firstborn from the dead, which means that I know where I'm going after I die. I'm be- getting resurrected. That's what that means. There's none of this weird, like, hokey pokey, you go to heaven, it's like Bart Simpson, and you're like, you know, with the angel wings and all that kind of thing. No, 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 we're, we're gonna rise again. Some people are excited, some people aren't. <laughs> some of y'all are sitting there and going, oh, I hope so much that, you know, if, I, if I'm resurrected, I'm resurrected with a six pack. <laughs> God, could you, could you add a few inches onto my height? Is that all right, can we do that? Supernatural regeneration. I think, I think he could do that. I think he could do that. But anything that was dead with Jesus, there's hope of new life. And if you're here this morning and you're sitting in this, this church and maybe you're hiding in the back, it's funny, when you have the lights here, you can see faces slowly and then in the back you don't see. So I know all of you sit in the back. That's why you sit in the back. You don't want us looking at you. But maybe you're walking in here this morning and you're going, I feel like a dead thing. I feel like a broken thing. I feel like a mess. I come from a history of dead things. Can I tell you that when you see God, when you talk about God, when you think about this God who may or may not love you, that God is Jesus. And that Jesus died and rose from the dead because he loved us too much to leave us where we were and he knew that if we went in the grave, there needed to be a way for us to come out and he set us aside so we would. Hallelujah. Let it rain, Jesus. (laughs) For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Paul says, for in him, in Jesus, oh, I'll go, bring it on. There's sometimes that like the Lord, it just like does stuff and you're like, come on. Here's what I need to, here's, here's the point I need you to get across. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. We serve a God who is in a good mood. And we like to say that, and people get all upset and get their knickers in a twist because theologically it doesn't make sense and all of this. But what I'm telling you is that it was good and pleasing for Father God to give his fullness in the person of Jesus so that when Jesus walked around on earth, it was God with skin on. When Jesus walked around and he healed people, it was God with skin on. When you look for what this God is like that these people serve, you look at Jesus and you go, that's who it is. And Jesus is pleased to dwell among us. That word dwell, for my my church friends, the word tabernacled, it's this understanding that Jesus has come and he has made himself home in our midst. And he was pleased to do it. Hmm. So what do we do with this? Because Paul thought, you know what? I could write him all these different rules and different things to do, which he does, by the way, in the end of Colossians. If you've been here the last few weeks, we've heard, we've kind of dabbled in and touched upon about it. This is the heartbeat of Colossians. 
This is the heartbeat, but this is not just the heartbeat of Colossians. This is the heartbeat of all of scripture. This is the one place in all of scripture that we get the most detailed and the most forthright understanding of who Jesus of Nazareth is. He is king and he is God. He is above all things, through all things, for all things. There's a saying that I had heard for ages, and this is, this is truthfully, this, you can laugh at me because this is my American ignorance um, coming out here. And I'm, I had known this, this, like, this saying I'll, I'll read here, but I didn't realize who said it. It says this, Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ is on my right, Christ is on my left. Christ is when I lie down, Christ is when I sit down. Christ is when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me. Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Christ in every eye that sees me and Christ in every ear that hears me. St. Patrick. There's a heartbeat. It's the heartbeat of Jesus. Do you hear it? It's this. I'm for you. I'm for all things and through all things. There's a moment in scripture, it's one of the most intimate and beautiful moments where Jesus taking his disciples right before he's about to die, he pulls out a a basin and he starts washing their feet and they're thrown off like, Jesus, what are you doing? He's saying, I'm serving you so that you will go and serve another person. And they keep talking and they keep chatting and Jesus kind of hints to them, the disciples don't get it, and we, get a hard, we give the disciples a hard time. They're like, come on, guys, you're thick. We know the ending of the story. It's like reading the spark notes of a book and then getting upset with the main character in chapter one because he didn't realize what was going on. But the disciples go, Jesus, where are you going? Jesus goes, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going. For a time, I'm going. Jesus, where are, you, where are you going? We want to go with you. And he says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that no one will go to the Father except through me. And then they ask him more, Jesus, what is this about? Jesus, take us to the Father. I want to see the Father. And Jesus said, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. For I and the Father are one. In a world and a generation out there that is, at the minute right now, seems so off kilter. We need, as Christians, as people who live and breathe all glory to Jesus, we need to be reminded sometimes that Jesus is in charge of everything. He's above everything. In your heart and in your life and your family's life and the brokenness and the things that you come into that's very personal to you, we need to remind us that Jesus is above all things and he's through all things and he's for all things and Jesus is on the throne and Jesus is God. You wanna see what God's like? Do you wanna feel God's presence? Do you understand who God the Father is? Look at Jesus. Read the scriptures jump in and do that. That's why we say bring your Bible and read your Bible. It's not so you can memorize scriptures and seem awesome. <laughs> Some people think it's awesome. I think it's awesome. I'm always amazed that people come out and just start rolling off scripture. It's not just that. It's so that when you read this book, you meet Jesus. When we pray, it's so we can meet with Jesus. When we worship, it's so we can meet with Jesus. I'm making this as simple as I can because this is what Paul said. It's all about Jesus. The rest will, will sort itself out, but it's all about Jesus. 
And some of you are here today and you need to hear, and this is maybe the Lord hang, hitting a gong. Maybe you're like me and you're like, I'm a, I'm a thick head. You just chat to Rihanna. I have a thick head. So there's times when, when God has to tell me a thousand times, Jesus is God and Jesus is everything. He's everything. I remember in Sunday school, last story, I remember in Sunday school thinking through this and we would be taught in Sunday school. I was one of those kids, disclaimer, I was the kid at five years old. I was in and out of the, ch- in and out of the church all the time, church two or three times a week. Um, my parents weren't even pastors, but I was still in the church. My parents were involved in, in church. Um, and I remember going to Sunday school and in Sunday school, they would always try to teach the kids, you know, Jesus should be the, the first person in your life. Like if there's, a, if there's a shelf, Jesus is right on the top. He's, he's the head. That needs to be, that goes Jesus, then it'll be your husband and your wife, then it'll be your family, then it'll be your, these are the list of priorities, A, B, C, D, E. And it wasn't until I was in university and I was in a place and I was really, I was really, really broken. I was studying scripture. I was trying to learn about Jesus and I was a broken mess. And at that point, I felt like, Lord, I don't really, have a family, my own. I'm on my own right now. I feel like nothing I'm trying to do and nothing I'm trying to accomplish is working. We talk about having a family or prioritizing. I, got, I have no other priority. Outside of trying to survive off of ramen noodles and going to Bible college, that's my life right now. And I was a broken mess. And I remember the Lord came and he, he met me where I was. And he said, Michael, do you remember, he, 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 when he talks to me, he says Michael, a lot of times, it's my, actual, my full name. It was Michael, I know it's serious then. <laughs> he, it was Michael, do you remember that Sunday school story where they were talking about the shelves? I said, yeah. He went, well, I'm sorry to tell you this, but they're wrong. I said, what do you mean, God? He said, I'm the shelf that everything stands on. I'm not the first, per- first thing on the shelf. I'm the stand that holds everything else on. If you're broken and if you're hurting today, I want, to, I want to lead you to somebody. I want you to meet someone because he is the one that holds us. He is the one that sustains us. He is the one that brings us together. I'm sorry, we are way over time. Could I have the band come up here? But in this moment right now, I, I want to allow for some time. And I know we can very easily jump on and have our, our Sunday roasts and things in the dinner and places to go. Can I also have the prayer team come up, anyone who's on prayer? But I think before we end this series, it'd be a disservice to what the Lord's doing in the room if we didn't actually allow you time to come up and meet with Jesus. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna say a prayer. The band's gonna, gonna play a, a, a bit of a song here. But I wanna encourage you. If any of this has resonated with you and you, you know, you know like I, I wanna meet Jesus. I, I don't know much about him other than what you just said, but he sounds like a person I wanna meet. I'd really love to introduce you to him. And maybe you're sitting out there and you go, my I've met Jesus. Me and Jesus haven't chatted in a while. Me and Jesus are, are having a bit of a, a fallout. But I want to come back and, and spend some time with him. I want to laugh about opportunities. So as the band plays here, can I have everybody stand? And I want this to be a moment with just you and the Lord right now. So if you close your eyes, you can stretch out your hands. It doesn't make much of a difference. It's more about your heart posture. 
And Jesus, we love you and we are so thankful that you're just not a number, num, another number or another thing on the shelf, but that you hold our shelf up, that you hold our, our lives up, that you hold our families up, that you are before all things, in all things, through all things, and for all things. And Jesus, in this moment, we give you everything that we have. And we just lay and just say, Lord, this is how I am. This is who I am right now. Would you take me? Would you move through me? Would you transform me? Would you show me? Would you guide me? And in this room, God, we just thank you for the opportunity that we get <laughs> to meet with you, to commune with you, to spend time with you. And Lord, may we never forget that when world, the world seems to be going to hell in a handbasket, when we're not sure how we're gonna be paid for the, the petrol or what's happening in our family lives or in the brokenness, thank you, Jesus, that you are there and you're just calling and just saying, come. Thank you that you have all the answers even when we don't and we don't understand it. And in this place, Jesus, we just say, would you come, would you move? We love you and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.